Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Swinton, joined by the Mobile Home Park Expert himself, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how the hell are you? Living the dream, buddy. Hope yeah. you're doing excellent. Yeah, man, it, it has been a wild pandemic. We have been um, very slow in our uh, podcasting, so we do apologize, but we have just been really, really busy. Surprisingly, Glenn, you have been just on fire rapidly, like crazy busy, right? Crazy amount of, of deal flow and activity and helping people out, evaluating their parks. You know, we, we've been closing, you know, we closed three deals this week. I mean, some, some were tiny deals, some were mid-sized deals and some were big deals. You know, and for the last, you know, six, eight weeks, something like that, we've been closing a deal about every 10 days or so. Um, and that's it's been pretty exciting. Our deal flow is through the roof right now. And we're, we're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing this not necessarily happen all around the markets, but for all the good parks and the sellers that are out there right now, it does seem to still be a pretty competitive environment. You know, the, the lower quality stuff a little has a little less. Uh, desirability it seems right now but the higher quality stuff is definitely trading and it's, it's exciting to be a part of and it, it's you know it's just testament to how resilient the mobile the, the manufactured home communities uh, you know really are especially with collections being for the most part you know within 95 percent of collections from 12 months ago um, and that's that's a pretty stout number i mean obviously there's some caveats there uh, but Pretty, pretty exciting stuff, and 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 from a busy standpoint, I, I couldn't tell you that I was working any less than I was pre-COVID. <laughs> you know, I, right. I'm still looking to take a breath. You know, we were just hoping to rent an RV and go cross country with the kids, and uh, with this new COVID outbreak, where you know we had to rethink our plans, unfortunately. So you know, work, work, work. Still, I guess you know it's uh, it's an interesting time to say the least. Yeah, I like that people are still doing business. I like that business is continuing. I mean, you know, where people can do business, they're doing business and trying to keep the machine going. Um, so I'm just very hopeful. You know, I, I thought now actually is maybe a good time to really start investigating and finding my first deal. So over the past couple of weeks, I've been diving into sites, looking at listings. Glenn sent me a few, a couple of my other buddies who I've met through Glenn have sent me a few. And, you know, I thought now would maybe be a good time, Glenn, to kind of, you know, what exactly are the steps I should be taking with finding my first deal? I know we've talked about very broad, but like sure. when we talk about action steps, what should I be doing? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be different for, for a lot of people, but you know, and, and we can go in a couple of directions with this, but, you know, for you particularly, you know, I know exactly what you're looking for and you need headache free and you need not to think about it. You need something that's going to give you a nice return, but also allow a lot of depreciation and, you know, after tax type of losses or after, you know, where you can take some good losses on your taxes. Um, and that's, that's, you're a little bit more unique uh, in the, in, in the fashion that you're not chasing yield per se, you're definitely not trying to do a heavy lift. Um, you know, so for, for somebody like you, it's actually a lot easier to find a deal um, because there's, there's a pile of them. If you're willing to work with brokers, um, because that's the kind of thing that, you know, brokers will typically have a lot of, um, right. you know, 
but if, if you were saying, if you didn't know me and if you're like, you know, trying to find your own deal and you're all the way up there in, in, in New Hampshire and saying, geez, you know, how do I get a deal? You know, what I've been working with a lot of guys is, is teaching them kind of like the first steps, what to do, you know, and it's, you know, I, I talk about it in my book a lot. There's some, some, you know, true, true, true first steps that we talked about on these podcasts before. Like you need to figure out, you know, the municipality that you want to work with. You need to figure out your management and you need to figure out your debt before you go wasting anybody's time trying to buy any kind of park because, you know, it's, you know, if you don't have those, those, you know, three things kind of figured out, you, you might go a little sideways, you know, right out the gate. Um, and most people like to put the cart before the horse and go find the park and then figure out the rest of it. I, I don't necessarily agree that's the best way. Um, but the way that, that we do it and, and the way that, you know, if, if you're methodical about what you're doing, what I would suggest is, you know, first, you know, uh, uh, creating sort of a database of all the mobile home parks in your county or your tri-county area or, you know, some MSA or twos that you're that you have a strong interest in. And, you, you know, you'd be surprised how easy you can find every single park. Um, if you just spend enough time on Google Earth and if you limit your radius to to fairly small you know, areas, uh, you can drop pins on everything and then scroll into it and then go research the county records and go into, you know, the, the various places you can track things down with. You know, you can use uh, a LexisNexis type of search um, and, and, and build yourself out a, a, an MSA or two. And there's, you know, in most counties, there's less than 100 parks. In some counties, there's more, but most counties are going to have less than 100 parks. And you go through and you figure out all the stuff that's you know, relevant to understanding that, that, that part, the location, obviously, but then the seller information, phone numbers, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you start, then you start calling and you start to ask these guys, you know, the, these, you know, I, I like to look for mom and pops that have owned these parks for a long time that might be out of depreciation and, you know, trying to think of, you know, how, you know, how their tax benefit from real estate is coming close to ending on this thing. And what are they going to do to recapitalize that type of income? You know, and so when, when I look at when I started creating my database, you know, it, that's kind of how we started. Now, Charles on my team, Charles DeHart has you know taken a database to, to a whole new level. It's like, you know, science fiction now, uh, but it's awesome. And, and he has fields, you know, all, all the way down to the second cousin's, you know, second wife. Kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, it's uh, pretty interesting what you can do with the data but for you guys getting started you know if you just grab the 30 most relevant you know bits of information and track all that down and then give that seller a call uh you can have a real discussion with them i, I really advise you know picking up the phone and calling these guys because you're going to probably get a better deal than any broker is going to be able to give you However, you're going to be taking on some additional risks by not having, you know, protection from a broker, you know, from a broker who understands the industry or maybe a mentor that, you know, understands the deal. If you're just winging it, you know, good luck. But I, I don't recommend it. But if you're not just winging it and you kind of know what you're doing, picking up that phone and calling that seller, you know, he wants, you know, he unlikely wants you to bother him. But if you have a real solution for him and he, he's not being, you know, peppered by you by, you know, ridiculous questions and, you know, consistent asks, I, I would say, you know, a lot of these deals, especially early on in my career, were made by going down and meeting with these people, having, you know, conversations, setting a meeting, going down and talking with them and, and, and just trying to be two guys talking, not making it a business transaction, just trying to get to know each other and understand what each other's goals are. And see if you can get your personal goals aligned with his. 
you know, and, and it's a long way to get there. But a bunch of our clients and friends that are in this industry you know, did exactly that. And they got themselves 10 to 12, sometimes higher percent caps even than that. And I can't deliver you that. And most brokers will never be able to deliver you a return like that because we, you know, we have to take, you know, best interest in mind, especially if it's a listing and things like that. Um, but if you do decide that that sounds like a pain in the butt, um, you know, you could always then say, you know, I'll, I'll work with a broker and brokers like me. And, and I'm sure a handful of my competitors are out there. You know, we got lots of scouts out there looking for deals. And, you know, we, we don't mind, at least I don't mind, I don't know about other brokers. And I mean, you know, I, I, this is you know kind of an invitation for anybody that's serious and wants to, you know, work a market, especially if it's a market that I'm not in, you know, I don't mind sharing a little bit of a database with you. And maybe you, you can kick, you know, keep the things that, that work for you. And then you kick up information and things like that for me. Um, and I'm sure other brokers do similar things, but right. I got a few guys out there that kick us up a lot of stuff and it's, it's pretty excellent. It's a pretty excellent program that way. Um, you know, and, and that sort of saves you some of the headache of being haggled with by the broker. Um, of course, you know, my intention would be to sell your park if you ever picked one up and then, you know, right. of course. try and do some business with you that way. Um, but there's, you know, numerous ways you can go about creating this this database and getting to your first deal. It's just how much headache do you want to you know deal with and how much risk are you willing to take? But you know, going back to the first three steps, which I can't understate enough, is man, you guys got to figure out how you're gonna manage this thing, you know, maintenance wise, you know, on-site management wise, third party management wise. Is it just gonna be you and your your friends just working your butts off at the park? That's fine, but you need to understand how you're gonna do that, how it's gonna be practical. What your carrying costs are really going to be, because for most owners, right out the gate, day one, you're not always going to have the cash flow you anticipated right out of the gates. Okay, oftentimes things change a little bit as you get right up to the finish line, and you know you, you want to be prepared for that. You want to know that municipality in and out. You want to be best friends with that municipality in and out, um, because they're going to give you you know a hard time if they don't like you, and if you ever have you know an ask of them, then you know, it's better to have that relationship up front. You'll learn early on if that's a municipality you want to, you know, dip your toes in with. You know, it's some municipalities are real tough. We yeah, having it sounds it sounds like having a bad uh, having a bad municipality is a lot like having the worst neighbor, but they kind of own you. Possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely obnoxious. I you know I I owned a park in uh, eastern Tennessee. And that municipality just absolutely hated me. I mean, just hate. I wasn't local, even though I lived one county over, but on the North Carolina side. And, you know, they they absolutely did not show me one ounce of love. The only thing I got from them were, you know, new violations about grass being too high and all this kind of just anything they could do to ruffle my feathers. And, and when it came time for me to have a big ass with them, even after getting my park all cleaned up and not, not, not problematic for them, like, you know, it was, it was still very much denied and no love given. So, you know, we just did a deal in Pittsburgh and, and that municipality, what a pain to get something done with. Um, man, that was, that was a real, that was a real process. And, and as you get into some of these, you know, towns, often there's this old boys club kind of thing going on in the municipalities and, you know, it can make your life, you know, just, just so, miserable trying so, to, trying to do something with them. So in a way it sounds like they could be greased. Yeah, you think, you know, <laughs> if they're good old, if it's a good old boy, 
Well, that's what I was going to ask is like, how do you, how do you get legally in the back pocket of the municipality? Well, and maybe, maybe, maybe it comes back to being just like a steward of the community. Maybe you have to prove it and earn it. Yes and no. It's it's a little all of that. Some, some counties just are miserable, right? And no matter what you do, you ain't one of them. That's going to be a problem. However, with, the proper setup, you know, if there's grease to be applied, it's in the beginning, like most things, going in and handling objections and that uncomfortable conversation right out the gate and getting to know them, like two guys talking. You know, it's always nice to show up to a place with some food and drinks for people, and they'll usually sit there and talk to you. And if you make nice with them and you continue making nice with them and you continue to live up to the promises you're you're telling them you're going to deliver in that town for, with this park and the cleanup and the blah, 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 then, then maybe, you know, they become very receptive to you. I've had tons of stories of very receptive municipalities uh, for people that, you know, do a good job and, and, and act appropriately, but the same person in a different town might not get the same reception. You know? um, so and you, may, you and to, that's you know, why that's important. That that's why yeah. you should be that's having conversations, right? Yeah. It should be one of your first three steps. Do you want to deal with these people for the next, you know, seven, 10 years, however long you're going to own the park? Uh, you know, and you know, that's a big, it's, it's, that's a big question. You know, and then the management, the management, the management, the management, and then the finances, how are you going to finance this thing? If you're going to go sweet talk some, some seller in for, you know, this great conversation and tell him what he wants, just to give him a contract, he thinks he can live by to then in three months, you know, pretty much stick him up and say, Hey, you know, I need to owner finance this thing. That is because the financing I thought I had fell through, boy, that's going to really hurt the relationship, and it's really going to, you know, hurt your credibility and things like that. So the financing up front is important, you know, for the syndicators that are out there getting all that worked out up front, figuring out the approval process up front. What's it going to take to, you know, give your seller something you can stand by? And and that's, you know, that's hard. And the guys that are using their own straight money, it's, you know, it's going to be even harder than ever for you guys using your own money to start winning deals in this future cycle that's coming. And I really recommend the tactic of cold calling and, and, and meeting directly with owners uh, and trying to strike a deal because those 10 caps, they just, they're, they're getting fewer and far between. And, and if, if that's, you know, if yield is your goal and you need that yield because you're using your own personal money, you know, that's, that's a harder, it's, that's a hard thing to be competitive can, in right now. Can you I? I mean, can I ask mm-hmm. you? I want to ask you because I, I, I'm modifying these steps a little bit to based on what I'm understanding is important, and I want to see if you it, what you think of my pitch. Right. So, here's what I would do. I would look at areas I was interested in, right? Areas of the country that were convenient for me or were in a growth market that I was interested in. Then I would look at the number of parks that are available in a specific area. I'd be kind of like targeting in to try to find what town and municipalities are options for me. And then because the relationship would be so, so shitty, if it's bad with the municipalities, I would my step would be making friends with them and making sure that we're going to have a good relationship and that everything is not pulling teeth. It's not a pain in the ass. And then I would go meet with uh, the park owners um, if it checked that yep. box. What do you think? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I mean, that's how I would kind of look at it. You know, it's like I was saying in the beginning, don't put the cart before the horse and definitely don't, 
don't waste, you know, a broker's or an owner's time about getting all hot and heavy on deal just to find out you can't, you know, you can't live with, you know, what the municipality is going to, you know, be like for you. Yeah. And you can't that's, be lazy about just, it. You, you got, you yeah, got to, you got to make the calls and try to interact and engage. And I think the hardest part about that thing is doing that is the start. Just jump in there, yeah. get on the phone. You can tell real quick within an organization by talking to two or three people, how their culture is internally and how they treat matters. If they're respectful and they're yeah. interested in economic growth versus somebody who is like, you know, not returning your calls is hard to get through is rude to you on the phone you don't want to deal with people like that screw that and and, and, you know a good intro to some of these you know mom and pops is hey i'm looking at buying some parks and you know i've been talking to the municipality and i can't quite get a feel of how they're going to be what's your opinion of the municipality in this area and you know you can almost strike a conversation with the seller that way pretty easily Uh, and then see where it goes from there um, you know, I mean, there's there's lots of ways to get a good handle on getting some real feedback on what that headache is going to look like. You just got to be a little clever and you just got to kind of think it through. And I would really suggest, you know, if, if, if the first thing you're doing is like I lived in, you know, in New Hampshire and, you know, Boston's near me. And then I got a few other you know big cities near me. But, you know, I, I don't I don't know where to go. I, I would say look at, you know, the, 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 the few MSAs or counties nearest you and, and look for what has the best, you know, the, the best growth, which ones have, you know, the highest home values, um, which ones have the higher average two bedroom rents and, and start narrowing it down to a handful of counties um, that you can, you know, use as a target. And, you know, it really doesn't take long to find these things on, the, on a Google map. If you just type in mobile home park in Google, you'll see the thing every other person will see. And most of the people stop there. But if you go on like Google Earth and scroll in and, you know, just go left to right, county line to county line, top to bottom, and just drop pins along the way, which is exactly what I've done for, you know, years now. Um, and you can dig up lots of parks that other people aren't calling. Um, and that's, you know, that, that can give you some edge uh, over your competition and maybe actually help you find some of these, you know, higher cap deals that, you know, have some, some juicy value add left on it. Yeah, it sounds, I mean... You know, the more we talk about it, it sounds like buying a mobile home park is like dating and then courting the family. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a slow really process. Park. Yeah, it really is. I mean, my, my, from the time I, I typically meet somebody for the first time and have a call with them or whatever, to the time that that seller has transacted with me and is, is signing the closing papers, it's not un, it, it's not unrealistic to think that could easily be three to five years. You know, often we try and get these things in under 18 months, and sometimes the sellers are ready to, to rock and roll right when you call them. But my average client is at least three years from the time I talk to them to the time they're ready to pull the trigger on the deal because it takes that much time. And they're looking at offers. I mean, they might not be telling me about the offers they're looking at, but I know they're getting offers. I know they're considering it. And, you know, oftentimes they are discussing those offers with me, and I'm trying to find a way to beat those offers. And that's, you know, that takes a minute to develop a guy who's, especially the mom and pops, who is, you know, worried about legacy, is is worried about, you know, hey, I've been, I developed this park or I've owned this park for 30 years. And, you know, I know my kids aren't going to, you know, really handle it properly and they have other goals and dreams. So I want to sell, but I don't want to, you know, I, I can't just walk away from this thing and I need an exit figured out. I need a buyer who's not going to drive me nuts. 
I need somebody who's going to take care of my tenants afterwards and not just go press them heavy on rents. And that's, that's the kind of conversation, you, you know, if you get into a conversation like that with a lot of these old timers, man, it could, it really does pay dividends. They, it builds trust and they start talking to you and maybe just maybe you get to do a deal with them. Yeah. At, once, once you kind of find that, you know, honeypot, the thing that you want the most, the, the, the deal you want, what is the next best step? I know I want it. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I typically don't like talking pricing with, with, with people out on that first few conversations until, unless if they got a number they want to throw at me, you know, um, I typically don't like talking about price. And I know most people want to figure out what the price is out the gate to see if they're even a player. Or anything. I say you did it wrong. I say you should already know how many how many things are at that park. How many lots, how many tenants, how many homes, how many vacant lots, all that kind of stuff. And you should have already underwritten yourself based on your model, whatever your model is that you're using. And then kind of had some ideas of ranges. And then while you're talking with them, you're asking, you know, sort of questions about, you know, how, how, you know, who are your favorite tenants? How many, you know, how long have they been here? You know, who are your problem tenants? You know, what are you doing about them? You know, what are your collections like? You can do those, but you don't pepper them like an interview. You just kind of work them into your conversations and you're mentally making, you know, notes about what to update your model with. And when you start understanding the upside in the deal, you know, because a lot of these owners, you know, they, they want value for this upside. They, they, they just do. You have to be able to have that conversation with them in a way that makes sense. Uh, and so digging into things like that, that aren't necessarily price, you know, specific, uh, but about, you know, where the value and opportunity is in this deal, where the seller sees it, and then, you know, kind of adding it all up together and figuring out in your head, what does the seller really want? Is it his number or is it peace of mind or is it a tax solution or is it this or is it that? And then start asking more about those kind of questions and then probably following it up after, you know, a day or two of, of you know, going through things and, and re-underwriting and stuff. And then going back to the seller with, hey, from what I understand, this is kind of what you're looking for. And, you know, you didn't tell me a price, but this is kind of where I'm at. And, uh, you know, you can hedge, but every time you hedge, you get less of a chance of getting a positive reaction. You know, I just, you know, often say, hey, go in at your best foot or at your 95% of your best foot and, you know, see if you can make a deal work with the guy at that point. Because then you probably have enough trust have a conversation about price that isn't just me versus you and you know because you can kind of lay out all the facts he gave you and you can kind of lay out what your what your goals are and if it's a legacy you know thing you can reassure them that you're not going to jam a hundred dollar rent bump down down your tenant's throats in year one and and you know get him more confident with these things where the delta between his price and your price maybe gets absorbed because it, it makes ultimate sense in the deal to put you as the next guy who owns the park as far as the current owner sees it. And that's what you're looking for is, is that's that kind of, you know, how to really negotiate with these sellers, in my opinion, you know, the underwriting should come first before you talk to them. You, you have Google, you can just get on there and count, you know, how many lots are vacant and all that kind of stuff. You can make a, a call to the office and figure out what their going lot rents are and you can, you know, get all that stuff kind of going. And that's what I would really recommend. So, you know, start with the review of the areas. Then you move into building a database. And you kind of sort your database by who you think is the, the most likely candidates to trade and, and meeting the criteria of what you're looking for. And then you just target those, you know, 10 to 20 owners 
for the next 12 months, you're going to get a deal. Um, and and you, if you did it through a broker, great. If you did it on your own, you're probably getting a better deal than, than the broker would have given you. But, you know, there's also benefits, as, as we all know, to using brokers. I know a lot of you guys right. are trying, trying to get a deal, you know, on your own right now, which I fully encourage as long as you do it smart. How how long after I make that offer um, am I looking at till I can close if I've already had like, you know, my, my loan kind of queued up and all that stuff or my financing? Sure. Rather? Well, the loan won't get queued up really until the very end of the whole due diligence phase because the banks, um, they take a long time. Okay. So you're going to typically, and if you're not getting seller financing, of course, you know, uh, but, but typically as a buyer, you're going to want to ask for as much time as you can. Okay. Uh, you might have to use extensions and you might have to pay for those extensions, but you're going to want to try and buy as much time on the due diligence as you can. As a seller, he's trying to get you to have the shortest amount of time as possible for your hard money, you know, before your, your, your due diligence period expires and your money goes hard, it becomes non-refundable, your earnest money. Um, and, most deals that we do as brokers, it's called 60 days is a typical deal. Um, right now with COVID, we're running more like 75 to 90 days um, just because travel and, you know, inspections and stuff are just harder to coordinate right now. But if I was a buyer in today's market and I didn't have to be uh, uber aggressive on my approach with this seller to get it, to get his deal, uh, and, and and I'm assuming we're talking about a C quality type of deal, smaller type of deal under a million, or maybe under a million five or something. Um, hundred days is probably what I would be looking for on my initial offer. Knowing full well, they'll probably just want to cut that in half, but that's probably where I would go and then find out what's important to them. Is it the amount of time it takes to close or is it the amount of time that my money goes hard? Because maybe I can let my money go hard in 30 or 45 days with the caveat or two of finance contingency and stuff. But as far as everything else being go, you know, there might be more or less bought into the deal. Uh, but again, if you're trying to get, you know, your finances still worked out and you're not trying to you know, ask for more time once you're under contract right now in COVID, I'd say 80 to 100 days is a reasonable initial request on an ask. With a broker, it's probably going to get shut down. With an owner, it might not get shut down. Um, but if you're in a competitive market, like if you tried buying a deal in Boston, okay, um, you're, you're not going to be able to do that kind of offer. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have to do an offer that the money is probably hard in 15 to 30 days, and that you're closing in 30 to 60 days. Um, and that's you know, that's that type of market. But that's anywhere in the country. You know, any of those high-velocity markets with a lot of action, you're going to have to move faster. But if you're doing secondary, tertiary markets, you know, like I said, you know, 60 to 100 days, 80 to 100 days, you know, somewhere in that range is probably a reasonable time to go from start to finish. Gotcha. All right, Glenn. Uh, last words of advice. You know, you've given us a lot of tips to get through there. It, to that person who's sitting at home thinking about who's been thinking about it and using Corona and all this stuff as an excuse not to get started and exploring, what do you say? You know, I think those who have excuses will always have excuses. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think most things in life, if it's important to you, you make it happen. And for the guys on the sidelines that say, I only got a hundred or $200,000 or I might not even have that much money. 
Oh man, I say the same thing my dad used to tell me all the time. Where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, often you might have to start small. You know, I started with the 30-something space park. You know, it was every last penny I could do. But, you know, it was enough and worked. And, you know, I learned my lessons and I made my money and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and I, you probably don't even need $100,000 to get into, you know, a lot of deals. You can probably get into a nice deal, you know, for, you know, probably, you know, $50,000 if you, if you know what you're looking for. So I would say if you haven't found a deal and if you're not trying to find a deal, then your excuses are probably what's getting in your way because there's a lot of deals out there to be found. Um, but the first step really is, man, you know, have a call for action in, in your own personal life. Say, hey, this is something I want to do. I'm going to go find, you know, 20 targets and I'm going to investigate those 20 targets and I'm going to make the best offer I can on any of them that I can make an offer on. It's about, see if you can do yep. it and then figure out where it goes from there. You know, it's about taking that first start with the beginning. Yep. It's about that first step. Glenn, thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Glenn and what Glenn has going on, please visit the MHP expert.com. You can email Glenn at G Esterson at the MHP expert.com. And Glenn, how can people call you? Uh, of course, they can always give me a call on my cell phone, 423-483-0492. Or you can call our team number and talk to any of my excellent agents that are all around the country. And that's 720-MHP, the number 4-Y-O-U, M-H-P-4-U. On behalf of Glenn Esterson, I'm Jason Sorotin for the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you.